as we begin this season of Lent, I have a suggestion for you. Make friends with your sin. Have a cup of tea together. Take a walk, see a movie, eat at your favorite restaurant. But don't start to fall in love with your sin, because that would distort your vision of God's grace. Do, however, make friends with your sin. Some of us recoil when we encounter the language of sin, like in our collect for Ash Wednesday. We worthily lamenting our sins and acknowledging our wretchedness. For some of us, these words conjure up the specter of childhood religion, when such language was a club or a cudgel used to bash us into shame, so that we carried that feeling into adulthood. Some of us have struggled to climb out of our own pit of self-loathing over many years, and any talk of wretchedness risks pulling us back down into it. So it's hard to hear these words and not flinch or draw back at times. But I say to you, make friends with your sin. Learning to love yourself also means accepting the ways in which you fall short or aren't perfect. It's okay, we're human. And one of the lessons of Lent is that we are mortal and imperfect. Who would need saving anyway if we were perfect and immortal? From the perspective of Palm Sunday, five and a half weeks from now, we tend to forget the message of Ash Wednesday from today. We are dust, and we have fallen short. So for those of you who balk at the language of sin because it sounds like judgment or doesn't fit into your own self-assessment, I say, make friends with your sin. Don't give it the power to shame you. Laugh with it on the couch together. Say, yeah, I know I do that thing I shouldn't do. And isn't life funny sometimes? Making friends with your sin is a form of self-acceptance. But again, you're not dating your sin. So don't indulge it too much. (laughs) Some of you don't recoil when you hear the language of sin. Instead, you reject it altogether. It does not seep into you like shame. It offends you or repels you. I'm a good person, you think. I have compassion for others and I do my best at all times. Why should I think of myself as sinful? How does that even help me or anyone else? God loves me exactly as I am, and I am perfect in God's eyes. I see no point in beating myself up. I'd rather spend my time trying to better myself and helping those around me. Well, you are beloved in God's eyes, no question. And good for you for the positivity that you manifest in your life. But you are missing out on the lessons being taught in the school of darkness. Humility, for one. Compassion for others' shortcomings. And maybe forgiveness of yourself and of others. And for those of you to whom the talk of sin feels archaic, wretchedness, penitence, or sounds all too Roman Catholic, I urge you to consider the Lenten invitation to self-examination that we will hear in a few minutes. Where are your hard edges that could be softer? 
When does your willfulness get in the way of real connection with another person? When does it blind you to your own weaknesses? Again, none of us is perfect. And to dismiss our failings as if they don't exist is to deny our need for salvation. Examine your heart this Lent. You will find sin in it. Make friends with it. Invite it out for a drink. And thank it for helping to keep you human and humble. And let sin teach you how to be better through its negative example. There are two themes to Ash Wednesday that hang over our heads each year. One is sin, and the other is death. What's not to love about Ash Wednesday? (laughs) It's interesting that so many people who are not usually churchgoers actually come to church on this day to be reminded of the shadow side of life. I would guess Ash Wednesday is maybe in third or fourth place after Easter and Christmas for attendance. Maybe despite everything I've just said, we need this reminder, this grounding ritual of dust on our forehead. It satisfies something deep within us. And part of its power comes from the fact that we are sharing this acknowledgement of sin and death with one another. Together in this yearly ritual, we look around at smudged foreheads like ours and connect with our mutual sadness. We're not going to live forever, we think. And today, let's face that fact together. William and I were in Salisbury, England last week and attended morning prayer and Holy Eucharist in its beautiful cathedral each day. Being there reminded me of the week that we spent in Canterbury a few years ago, attending prayer services daily in that cathedral, also magnificent. The crypt underneath Canterbury Cathedral is extensive, filled with tombs and chapels, candles and arches, quite beautiful and somber. One morning, we encountered an Englishwoman needing directions to the chapel where the Eucharist was to be held. We got to chatting and then attended the service together. Afterwards, she lingered at the tomb of Cardinal Morton, Archbishop of Canterbury under Henry VII, who had died in 1500. The statue of him atop his tomb had had its fingers severed by the Puritans, who also chopped off the heads of falcon statues and other creatures surrounding the tomb. Anyway, we got to chatting again with this woman. Her name was Patricia. Patricia was in her 70s, a historian and a big fan of researching family genealogies. You must have yours done, she urged. When we asked if she lived in town, she said, no, just drove down for a few days. I live a few hours away by car. She paused then, and her voice hitched as she continued. My sister died in Canterbury in an automobile accident on this day, 50 years ago. I woke up yesterday and realized I had to come here, my own pilgrimage, you could say, to remember her. And Patricia then did that most un-British of things. She began to cry. After a moment, I said, 
She must have meant so much to you that you still miss her after 50 years. Oh, yes, she smiled through her tears. But if you'd known my sister at age 24, you would understand. She was so full of life. And her death was so sudden. As she cried a bit more, I realized she had been mourning her sister's death for as long as I had been alive. Then William, who is always better at the religious stuff than I am, said, Let's say a prayer for your sister. Then he looked at me expectantly. (laughs) So we prayed for Rosemary, the beloved sister of this woman we had just met, And we gave thanks for her life and her liveliness. And we asked for peace for Patricia. And we all said amen. Patricia thanked us in that dank crypt, and we wished her well and walked out into the day. As with sin, make friends with death, too. It need not be your enemy. And it certainly will meet you one day, and your loved ones too. To make peace with death is to allow yourself to live and to be grateful for life. Like Patricia, many of us carry a sorrow that may never heal. But touching the scab will eventually hurt less and less until we can smile as we remember. This Lenten season, I invite you to make friends with your sins and befriend death. Both are reminders that we are but mortal, and both have much to teach us about life and about salvation. Amen.